Stay close to the wagons. Keep them bunched up. Chris, how far are you going? Just over that rim there, about a hundred yards. Maybe there's a stream or a game or something. You never can tell. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome back to Strange, uh, Strange Highways. I was about to say Strange Fridays. That's not even a sh- What is that show? I'm Paul. And we don't even record on Friday. And I'm Kevin. <laughs> Strange Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. So I um, hope you guys enjoyed uh, uh, last week's episode and, um, you know, didn't call dead relatives and maybe wander over to the other side, even though they really, really, really wanted you to go there. And I hope you're yeah, back for say, this hopefully, episode. Hopefully you stayed away from the pond. Yeah. And maybe you bought some long pants. Maybe that's finally something on your bucket list. You're like, you know what? I haven't had long pants, so I need them as well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so this episode is 100 Yards Over the Rim, Season 2, Episode 23. Air date, April 7th, 1961. Uh, number one film was The Sins of Rachel Cade. Uh, I had to look up what this was. Uh, during World War II. Sounds saucy. <clears throat> it is saucy. Uh Protestant medical missionary Rachel comes to the village of Debella um, in, in the Belgian Congo, and they make sandwiches there. Anyway, uh, widowed military administrator uh, Colonel DeRode is initially skeptical about her work, but eventually is romantically attracted to Rachel. One of her patients is Paul Wilton, an American doctor with the Royal um, something Air Force. I, I don't know. Anyway, the RAF. That's probably what it means, Royal Air Force. She makes love with Paul the night before he's to leave and becomes pregnant. So it's like... The, the many sins of her falling for people and then then having sex and getting pregnant, which is, you know, taboo. So there you go. Hmm, interesting. Never <laughs> seen that. I, I mean, no. I mean, I, I, I'd never heard of it. So I wondered because we had the hoodlum priest a couple weeks ago. And then I just I just feel like a lot of a uh, lot of a lot of uh, religious like about, um, you know, I guess the hoodlum priest fought people. I don't know. Probably not. And then she is uh, committing sins of, uh, of of premarital sex and having a child. So it makes yeah, me wonder so, about the sixties. Like, well, was some, there was some social change going on then. So here. Yeah, people yeah. still trying to hang on to the past. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The hoodlum priest though. I still, I really hope that's what it is, but I know it's probably not. Yeah. Uh, number one song, uh, blue moon by the Marcells, which that's the very famous one. Everyone knows from everything. Uh, and I think yep. it's even in, um, American werewolf in London. I believe, I think there's so many moon songs in that. So, um, I couldn't find anything for the day of the episode airing. I found something for the day before, uh, April 6, 1961, New York governor Nelson Rockefeller signed the bill authorizing the construction of the world trade center. So that was, uh, just yeah. interesting that that I didn't, I didn't know when that project actually started, but uh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, climbed to the top of that building in by climb, I mean, rode an elevator. It was, uh, <laughs> it was really high, and I was not, uh, uh, I, I'm not good with heights. And I just remember clinging onto the inside railing and uh, that's, not that's going the right near move. the edge. That, that's and the... It, it's funny because I, I don't know if you've ever been to the top of the trade centers. Well, not even, not now. No, I've never been. So, well, I mean, yeah, obviously <laughs> now, but like when, when they were standing, no. Uh, there's like an inside walkway and then on the edge of the walkway, then there's the top of the building down below. So you're not even on the edge of the building when you're up there, but I was still so terrified. I stayed to the inner rail. Yeah. That's I, that's uh, what I would have done. I, I would have probably just stayed like in the elevator. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good guys. I can see, I can see, <laughs> but it was cool. I'll remember it forever though. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I got I got nothing. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. So. Okay. So let's get into uh, the cast and crew. Yeah. So this episode was directed by Buzz Kulik, who we've talked about previously on the King Time 
the King Nine will not return. Uh, Trouble with Templeton and Static, um, which is a good tie-in to something that we'll be doing soon. Yes. Um, the episode was written by Rod Serling. And the cast, we have Cliff Robertson as Christian Horn, or Chris Horn, however you want to call him. Um, he was probably most famous recently for playing Ben Parker in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he was also the president in Escape from L.A. He played a character by the name of Shame in the 1966 Batman series, which I'm, I have no idea what that is. No. Do you know what Shame is? No. Like, do you know what Shame is? <laughs> uh, it's funny because uh, I, there's another character we're about to mention who was also in Batman 68. And I noted that, but I didn't know I didn't note Cliff Robertson doing anything. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was in more than the other uh, actor who was in it. So it was it was a bigger reoccurring role than uh, the other character. Oh, but I have no idea who Shame is. It's very strange. Um, he was in one other episode of The Twilight Zone and uh, war movie that I, I was always kind of a fan of The Devil's Brigade. And he, he, Do you have anything uh, else for him? Yeah, um, 1968, he won an Oscar for Best Actor in the movie Charlie, which is an adaptation of Flowers for Algernon that he um, kind of worked with from a stage production up to the film. And if you're not familiar with Flowers for Algernon, it's kind of a science fiction story about um, immensely uh, retarded um, or handicapped gentleman who he has low intelligence and they and scientists come to him and say, we can increase your intelligence and, and make you smarter. And as he goes through... Um, like in- increasing his intelligence, he starts to lose his friends and his you know people he starts close because they're intimidated by him, and also he understands where he was socially, and it becomes this whole thing of like he kind of escalates past even the scientists in his intelligence, and then he figures out that he only has this for a certain time, and it's going to fade and bring him back to where he was. So it's a really heartbreaking story. Yeah. Um. I, I always think it's funny when I'm going through these actors' uh, filmographies how I never mention the award-winning stuff, typically. <laughs> <laughs> I always have the certain things that I'm, I gravitate towards. Uh, so I, I always miss those things. So I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you picked up the slack with that one. I, I, it's, a feel, it's a movie I should have seen and I've not, but, I, but I've read the book, and the book was great. Yeah, you know I mean, and so yeah I, I'm yeah. familiar with it, with it. I know the plot and everything. I haven't read it, though. Um, but... Yeah, real famous sci-fi stuff. Yeah, so that's... And then, uh, yeah. Next up, we have... Oh, sorry. No, I was just saying, please go on. We talked about Uncle Ben and Spider-Man. I'm just so glad that we got a Spider-Man connection with the Twilight Zone, so please move on. <laughs> uh, next up, we have John Crawford as Joe, who uh, has a whopping 222 credits on his uh, acting career. Pretty impressive. He was uh, in the original Poseidon, Adventure and Towering Inferno, which I was pretty pumped about because I love those 1970s disaster films. Um, he was also in one of my favorite movies, Night Moves. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Uh, a, you've mentioned that. That's um, oh, that's we've talked about this before, and it, it, that's not the one with Gregory Hines. That's not right. That's uh, Night. Does that no? Okay, yeah. Anyway, no, this is the one with um, oh, oh my god. I'm, Totally, uh, totally blanking on everything right now with uh, Gene Hackman, okay. directed by Arthur Penn. Yeah, it's a it's it's a great mystery film, uh, but Gene Hackman it's it's one of his best roles next to French Connection. Um, he was also in Trouble Man, also uh, in Batman the series, mm-hmm. the original series, and this was his only Twilight Zone. Episode. So interestingly enough, this guy is like, he is like a connected universe of things. So he was in both the amazing Spider-Man TV series, uh, which is probably just some like made for TV movie stuff. And the yeah, Incredible I think he Hulk. was only in like one episode of that. Yeah. And the Incredible Hulk in 78. Uh, <laughs> he, he was the printer's devil in Batman 68, which whatever that is. And then uh, he was an adventurous Superman in 1952. And in the Lone Ranger. He's the Marvel and DC universe. And the Lone (laughs) Ranger. Yeah. Like this guy's done everything. So there you go. And he looks like Elvis a little Uh, bit too. He weirdly looks a little bit like Elvis sometimes in the episode. Yeah. Really good looking cast in this episode. Yeah. Um, Everyone was very striking. Uh, Next up, we have uh, probably the strangest name uh, on the Twilight Zone we've covered yet. Evans Evans, who plays Mary Lou. Um, 
it, two interesting connections here. She was uh, widow to director John Frankenheimer, who we discussed uh, a few episodes ago. He directed the Playhouse 90 episode of uh, Dust. Okay, yeah. If you remember, that's when we had the conversation about him. Um, directed Ronan and a bunch of other amazing crime films and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting connection. Uh, very famous husband. She was in Bonnie and Clyde. This was her only Twilight Zone episode, uh, episode she was in. And she was in one episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Which uh, will have some... Updates about that show coming <laughs> soon. Stay, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's what I have was the Are You Afraid of the Dark? So I thought that was uh, appropriate. So we'll we'll get. That yeah, one. and she only has twenty uh, some credit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting what she was in and who she was married to. Very cool. Uh, next up, we have Ed Platt, who plays the Doctor. This was his only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, he was in a few episodes of Outer Limits, uh, the original Cape Fear, one episode of Hawaiian Eye. Mm-hmm. There's our take your take your drink now. Uh, he was in North by Northwest and Rebel Without a Cause. Other than that, uh, I don't think I had anything else for him. His biggest and probably most well known role was the Chief in Get Smart. He was like the straight man that always got frustrated ah, by Don okay. Adams. Yeah. All right. How did I miss that? <laughs> That's probably what he's most well known for. <laughs> and there we go again. Me just uh, looking past people's most famous roles. Um, so next up, we have Miranda Jones, who plays Martha Horn. Uh, not much to her acting career. Um, Robert McCord makes a, an appearance. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I'll mention, but not least for sure, we have John Aston as Charlie. Yeah. That was his character name. Um, yeah, he's still with us, which I'm happy to say that, uh, most, his most famously known as Gomez Adams from the Adams family. Um, yes, he was noticed by Tony Randall, uh, and that, that's what got him into doing TV comedies. So I thought that was kind of a nice, like, I mean, I love Tony Randall. I love the odd couple. We've talked about that before. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, he played the Riddler in the second season of Batman. Um, whenever, uh, Frank Gorshin played him in the first and third. So I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know that either. When I saw it, I was kind of surprised. Uh, he is the, he was the father of Harry Stone in Night Court, so that's your Night Court connection. Uh, <laughs> and he was the judge in The Frighteners, one of my favorite movies of all time. I love The Frighteners. Yeah, I, I knew you were going to bring that one up. Fantastic. Uh, he was also in, uh, I, I don't know if we've ever brought this show up on the on the series, The Adventures of Con- uh, Briscoe County Jr. We've not. That's a good call. Yeah, he was the yeah, crazy, crazy professor. That's a fun show. Yeah. Yeah, really fun show. Uh, three episodes of the Night Gallery, which I always like to mention that one. Uh, one episode of, of uh, Tales from the Crypt. And I think that's, that's all I had. But also the father of Sean Astin. Well, he's the adopted father of Sean Astin. That's what I didn't know. Like, I found that out. Like, I thought he. Oh, I, thought, I didn't yeah. know either. Yeah. Sean Astin was from Patty Duke's first marriage. So uh, John Astin adopted him and, and Sean took the name. So oh. not, not, not that that's important, but you know, it's like, I thought it was like, Oh, well he did it. He did a solid, you know, by you know, just being like, Oh, you know that's fine. <laughs> he did a solid. solid. He's like, I'll, I'll do uh, uh Bilbo's friend. He'll be my, he'll be my, you know, Mr. Was it Sam, Sam, uh, whatever. I don't know. Sam, 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 Hob- Sam wise Hobbit. Yeah. I'll, I'll be his father. You know, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. I, so. I share a strong connection with hobbits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Harry feet. Is that what it is? I don't, I don't know. Yes, yes, that is literally what it is. So. I, I just have hairy feet. I like to. I just like to live in dirt in the side of hills. You know, that's I, that's my dream home. If I could just get a hill to live in, it would be fantastic. <laughs> I I dream of living in the Shire. I don't know if you know that about me, but no, it's one I, of my goals in life is to have like a cottage that's just built into a hill. I, I did not so I know that. Can pretend and just smoke some pipe weed with Gandalf. It'll be, it'll be glorious one day. I. One day. Okay, so I've I, I've known you for years. I are you a Lord of the Rings fan? I didn't know this. Like I I didn't know like yeah. how. Okay, all right. I, not yeah. that that not that that changes our relationship any. I just never. I I don't know. That just that almost seems a little too mainstream for a lot of the stuff that you're interested in. You know, like so that's why I never thought that would be something that'd be like on your radar. I I'm telling I'm just drawn to the Shire. <laughs> like that's all it is. Like I don't care about anything else in that series. I just want to live. Uh, in happiness in the Shire forever. <laughs> so, like, you, you've read Tolkien, but just, like, the Shire part. So you've read, like, you know, 100 pages of the entire thing. You're like, you know what? 
seems like a pretty good place. Hope nothing ever happens there. You know, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I hope nothing happens to these nice hobbits. Yeah. Right. Uh, Yeah. All right. Enough hobbit talk. Uh, Jump into the episode here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we'll just let uh, Sterling take it away. The year is 1847. The place is the territory of New Mexico. The people are a tiny handful of men and women with a dream. Eleven months ago, they started out from Ohio and headed west. Someone told them about a place called California, about a warm sun and a blue sky, about rich land and fresh air. And at this moment, almost a year later, they've seen nothing but cold, heat, exhaustion, hunger, and sickness. This man's name is Christian Horn. He has a dying eight-year-old son and a heartsick wife. And he's the only one remaining who has even a fragment of the dream left. Mr. Chris Horn, who's going over the top of a rim to look for water and sustenance. And in a moment, we'll move into the twilight zone. Sudden shift of music there, all of a sudden, wherever that yeah. harpsichord came in. Um, I forgot yeah. to mention, when we do cast and crew, um, the music, future music by Fred Steiner. Um, and the music of this, actually, there's bits in this episode that are really, really good. Um, he wrote the theme music for Rocky and Bullwinkle and Perry Mason. And he would actually go. I can hear it. Yeah. (laughs) And he would compose a lot of Star Trek music and go and would go uncredited and working on Return of the Jedi. So I just wanted to mention that because there's there's some music at the end with some drums that are actually it's really cool. So, yeah. Um, Yeah. It doesn't quite match the uh, excitement in the episode, but (laughs) it is fantastic music. That's fair. I I, I will agree with that. Very very whimsical music a lot. It, It sets the mood quite well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, let's yeah. Get. So this episode, we we start on you see a bunch of stagecoaches going through the desert, um, and they come to a stop. And Chris, your main character, comes around to the back of the first wagon. You see that there's a sick boy and his wife in the back, and he's putting a cold rag over his head. And you find out that the kid's been sick for eleven days, and they don't think he can make it too much longer. Um, so Charlie comes up from the second wagon, I guess the other family that's traveling, they're traveling from Ohio to, uh, California, California. So it's, it's quite the voyage to two by wagon, I would assume. And he comes up, asks about the boy and says, uh, they're heading towards Apache country and everything. And he, he and everyone else decided that maybe it's time to turn back. And, uh, Chris, I wasn't quite sure what his character was going to be because he comes off very stoic. So yeah. I, I didn't know if he was going to be the antagonist or protagonist. It, and you're not quite sure until about three quarters way uh, through this episode how they're going to play his character because he's he's very quiet. He's very to the point. And um, I thought it was kind of an interesting way to play this character. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, cause it, it leaves a lot of mystery to, uh, what's going to happen. Cause we, we've him. seen the hell bent type of like, it doesn't matter where we're like, we're going to do this. And I didn't get that vibe from him, but it was more like, we're this far out. Like what other choice do we have? That's kind of yeah, the vibe. He's, I got. he's realistic, but yeah, I, it, he's really stoic. Like yeah. I said, there, there's no bullshitting coming through his character. It's, uh, it's interesting because he can't really read him. Yeah. And like even his wife is like telling him like, you know, if you're going to go because he, he says he's going to go and maybe look, uh, you know, over that rim over there. Maybe there's a spring or maybe there's some game. And his wife's like, well, if you could find a nice shady spot, you know, and basically she's saying our son's going to die. Can we at least find a nice place to leave him? Which is a stark contrast to the last week's episode where we were worried about them, like talk, like showing a child drowning here. They are like, where are we going to bury this kid? Like it was a very frank conversation and it just felt odd on the heels of long distance call. Well, it's, it's of the time of 1847. I mean, those are things you have to deal with when you're traveling cross country in a, uh, uh, covered wagon. Right. Um, <laughs> so it makes sense. So it, Chris is like, yeah, I'm going to go. So he goes up over the rim and as he crosses over the top, he can see telephone poles and uh, there's a road coming through and he kind of looks back and the stagecoaches are gone. Yeah. And so. I'm just going to stop right here and say uh, seeing uh, location shooting and film it felt like an oasis for the eyes because they're shooting this out in like, you know, California 
and just having uh, the mountains New Mexico. There. Oh, sorry, New Mexico. Um, yeah, they shot this back to back with the one we're going to be covering next. Um, yeah, uh, caper of the uh, Rip, Rip the, Van Winkle. Yeah, uh, but you know, it, it just it it was beautiful, beautiful skyline, like just very yeah. stark and just very. There's just a lot of wonderful texture there, and just you know, being on film, like it was just. I mean, whatever we're going to say about the story in this episode, and I think you and I kind of, are, I have a feeling how you're going to land on this. The visual, like just individual frames of this episode, are just beautiful. And I, well, yeah, I, I was going to get to that because my note for the next thing that happens in this episode, uh, he starts coming down the hill and this shot is probably one of my favorite shots I've seen in the season so far. Um, just him with the gun and the top hat dressed in that really dark, uh, costume. Just it's, it's a really long shot of him coming down the hill Mm -hmm. from really far away. And, um, it's just it's really uh, awe inspiring. Like it's it's a fantastic shot. Like I like that shot, but I also like the one of him. It's just from behind of him looking at the mountains with he has the rifle in the one hand and he's holding it out. He has his other arm out. And it's kind of like you know like he's t- like kind of trying to process everything he's seeing and just with that top hat. Which there, there's a reason for that why the top hat exists, and I'll get to that when we finish up the episode because there's a there was an argument about the top hat. Um, it's a very clear silhouette and it's, it's beautiful. And I like, yeah, and, it, it works really well. I'm so glad he had that hat. I'm yeah. not quite sure what the argument was about it, but, um, just for this scene right here, um, I'm so glad he had it. Cause this is when we do our season recap, like, I, I don't know if this episode will pop up on a top list or anything, but this is something that'll stick in my mind is just this scene right here. Yeah. And, um, just me personally, I, uh, when I went back and watched this episode a second time and to get images and, and stuff for the, the, the show proper, I couldn't wait. I would have had made that, that image, the, the, my, um, my wallpaper on my Facebook page, just like my own personal Facebook page. Cause I just, I loved it. And I just, I, something about that imagery just, just hit me and, uh, you know, say what, we're, what we want about the rest of this, but that was, it was just so, I feel like we've had a bad string of unfortunate episodes that didn't have the best art direction, be it by technology or just decision-making. And this just maybe because of the lack of it, this really took me away. Yeah. Over and the uh, rim. no pun intended hats off to uh, cliff Robertson. Cause he looks fantastic. Oh, in yeah. this too. Like he's got such a great face for this character. Um, yeah. So he, he comes down the hill um, and they take their time watching him walk down the hill. And there's a, there's a lot of that in this, which is good and bad. Um, so he comes down and he walks to the road, puts his hand down and kind of touches it, sees what it is. And a truck starts coming at him. He has to dive out of the road to get out of the way. So I've been waiting a week to, to say this just because you're going to you're going to love how bad this is. So um <laughs> I'm selling it so so badly. Uh, he comes up to the road and doesn't really know what it is, but he's like reaching down and touching it. Would you say that is that is a strange highway? Would you say that's what that, that was for him? <laughs> it is in fact a strange highway. There we go. I'm done. Uh, All right. Not the strangest highway we've seen yet, but uh. <laughs> yep. All right. Good night, folks. That was, it's been fun. It. Yeah. <laughs> But then he jumps out of the way of the truck because obviously he doesn't know what it is. And he shoots himself in the hand. Like he falls down and the rifle goes off. And I wasn't sure what happened until later because they they, they talk about it later because it's like, oh, the gun fired off. And then it just occurred to me, that's pretty much how I play video games. Like if I have like the one thing, like I have one shot in my gun. I'm like, what's that? I'd fall down and shoot myself. So I I respect that. Like the whole like, I don't know what just happened, but I somehow managed to shoot myself with my own gun. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few subtle actions that happen this episode. That's one, and there's one coming up here. Um, but in the distance, he sees a building, and it's Joe's Air Life. What is it? Air, Air Flight, Flight Cafe. Yeah. So he, he walks to it, and when he gets there, uh, the owner, I assume the owner, Joe, is standing outside. Mm-hmm. And he asks him, did you see the, I think he refers to it as a monster, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, did you see the monster go by? And he Joe finally pieces it together. Like you talking about the truck <laughs> and uh, asks him how long he's been out there. And he tells him almost a year. And Joe's like, well, something's not right with this guy. Why don't you come on in? <laughs> and he sees that his hand is wounded. So he takes a look at it and tells him that his wife, Mary Lou played by Evans Evans, just cause I want to bring it up again. Uh, is a uh, nurse of some sort. 
Yeah, and it's like like I so said, that first bit when you see him, when you see uh, Joe wearing the sunglasses, that cowboy hat. I don't know what it was. He looked like Elvis to me. We took the glasses off for a second. It was Man, a very he's so cool looking. He is very cool looking, right? And, <laughs> I'm telling you, like ever, this is such a good looking cast. It is. Like, like except for except for Chris's son, his son at the end. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. There's a- <laughs> there, there's just a bit where it's like, kid, close yeah, your mouth. Close definitely your mouth. didn't get his looks. No, uh, no. in the genetics. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. Uh, um. Good, so he, a good call on that. Um. But yeah. So he brings them into the the the, the cafe, which that's also an interesting shot. Just be it is a set, but you just have you know it is 1961, right? And then you have uh, Chris showing up with this like wool jacket, top hat, and 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 gun rifle, yeah. and just it, everything about it is like it's a juxtaposition. And I really enjoyed just his reaction and their reaction to him. I, I really I, I did enjoy that. Yeah, uh, it reminded me of the gas station from Universal Soldier. I don't know. I don't know why that popped in my head when I was watching it, but. It's it's been forever since I've seen that, so I I, I don't have a reference. I does, oh, does, does Jean Claude Van Damme or does um, Dolph Lundgren do they wear a top hat at the gas station? Is that what's going? No, on? but oh. uh, Jean Claude Van Damme gets naked in the gas station, so oh. that's, yeah, that's okay. good. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he had to get oh. covered in ice, right? Is that what he was? Was that what he's doing? Cooling down because that was the whole thing, right? He was yeah, going overheat. Yeah, because yeah. because he's super hot because it's Jean Claude Van Damme, so he's he's just hot anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, We've seen a lot of episodes like this with somebody traveling back in time, um, though I think we've only seen one true time machine. Is that correct? Up to this point? Um, yeah. I mean, the device. Like, like not like, counting like, like a plane or something like that, because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would technically be the time machine, um, but like an actual time machine. No, the, the, I think the one such. we got was for execution when it had that uh, big time diamond or whatever it was that they yeah, uh, yeah. that they got into. But I think that's the only one. So is for as many times as we've seen time travel, um, their preferred method seems to just be um, like a, a mystical time travel. Like here we are. Like now we're in a different time. Figure it out. Yeah. And I got to give credit to all of the actors in these episodes like this. They play the confusion and just the, just being baffled so well Um, when he walks up to the gas pumps and everything, like just the look on his face, you totally buy it. Yeah, I I agree. And uh, give credit to Cliff Robertson. And again, I'll get more into this a little later. Um, He, he's the strongest part of the episode and there's, there's a couple of reasons why, Uh, but his performance is for, for someone that doesn't have that many lines of dialogue he just he has a presence and he he brought he brought a different approach to this character than you see at least i feel like in terms of um some of the different actors we've seen in the series like if this was the professor from back there whatever that, that, that russell johnson if this would have been him yeah he would have just been like chewing the scenery being like i don't understand what this device is you know is it made of coconuts like i don't know what he'd be saying but he would be really over the top with it and robertson yeah, which I, I don't mind that because I would probably ask a million questions. I probably wouldn't shut up the entire time. But uh, this character, he kind of just takes it all in. Yeah. He, and he's very quiet about it. He isn't stupid. And that's I think that's the big thing is like he understands that the pieces aren't fitting together, but he doesn't question like he understands it's the reality that he's in in the sense of like, this is all in front of him, but he doesn't, he isn't stupid. And, and the doctor says a later and, and not to go too forward where he's like, like he's, he's the most rational person. I feel like I've talked to him or, or he's very rational of his own situation. And that's how I kind of got from, from him that he was still, he was still putting it all together, but he didn't once really have a moment of panic until you now well, we'll get to it. Like he has a revelation. Well, again, he's such a stoic character, and he seems so sure of himself that you believe that he would just take it all in like that. And he comes from such a dangerous time in history that it, it seems like he doesn't quite trust anyone while he's mm-hmm. there. So he doesn't want to let people in on how he's feeling yeah. uh, as he's experiencing all these things. And it makes total sense. Like it, It's the perfect way to play this. Yeah, so uh, Joe convinces his, his wife, Evan Evans, that's whatever her name is in the episode, to because um, she used to be uh, like working in a hospital or assistant of some sort, 
yeah. to come tend to his wound. And she comes out with some bandages and then uh, a bunch of penicillin, which I didn't know that you could just have that. I didn't know that was something you could just have available. I mean, it's the 60s, I guess. Um, and she offers it to him and he looks at it and he's like, what is this? And she's like, you know, it's to, to help like um, a possible infection. And then he's like, well, he's like, my son's sick. Do you think this would work? And, and she's kind of like, well, you know, maybe, you know, like it, it does a lot of things. So he's already trying to assess, like, I don't know what this is, but if it could help me, I, I want to remember this to help my kid. And I, I kind of, yeah. I, I like that. Like he didn't question, he didn't question the future of little tablets. He's like, can this help me get my kid better? Yeah. And, uh, I'm not quite sure if it was before or after, but there's a moment where, uh, the Joe, the diner owner reaches for his gun mm-hmm. to take a look at it and Chris pulls it away and he's like, wow, it must be a antique and everything. And he kind of asks him like, what about Indians out here? How long have you guys been here and everything? And there's a moment where he sees the jukebox and he, when he walks over to it, there's a calendar up that has a, it's kind of like a Western themed calendar. It's got some people with uh, covered wagons and everything and Indians attacking it. And, he sees it and then he looks down at the date and sees that it's 1961. Yeah. And I also like, there's a brief shot of him looking into the jukebox when it reflected back. It was a really cool reflection on him as <laughs> he's like staring at technology. It's real quick. I, I, I enjoyed that. But, um, I also liked it like, cause, uh, he, um, he, I, for a second, I really thought he was going to attack the jukebox. Cause I felt like that's always what people from the past do. Like they just, yeah, I thought he was going to shoot it <laughs> yeah, like too. the TV, yeah. like <laughs> everyone uh, shoots technology. Right. Uh, and so, but I like that he's telling the story. He's like, well, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Ohio. And he's like, I was going to California. Like everything he's saying is something that could be happening currently. So they couldn't really, they couldn't really figure out maybe what was going on with him. You know, and I, I appreciate that. Like he's telling them the truth, but they're like, but you've been out there for a year. Like what happened? You know, I, I, I kind of like that, but he also, he called it a, was it Ohio or I forget, like I forget how you pronounced it, but it was a really interesting way of saying where he was from. Like it was very uh, old timey Ohio. Um, but I, I, uh, I like that when he has the revelation that it's 1961, he, he's shocked, but somehow she drops a glass of water. Like she's shocked by his revelation. That's 1961. I don't understand that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, why I, would she be shocked that she's in 1961? Like, I don't, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, I, I do love, um, I do love that they were coming from Ohio, though. Just personal <laughs> connection. <laughs> Recording in Ohio. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, just to give some, uh, it takes 35 hours to drive to California now. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, just to put it in perspective, <laughs> taking a covered wagon that took a year to get across the country, well, more than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, now it takes 35 hours. Well, I mean, you know, like we've all played Oregon Trail. We know it takes a while to get where you're going, and you got to you got to yeah. prepare correctly, and you got to avoid snakes and uh, dysentery. So, um, but yeah, he realizes that he's you know somehow he's went forward in time and. Uh, and that and it goes to like commercial break, and that's when the doctor like you know comes out of like from the back office and is like saying I you know I looked him over, um, you know, and he's very he, and, and that Joe was like well he's crazy basically saying he he must be crazy saying the things that he's saying, and the doctor's like no he's you know no matter what he's very rational and he's very sure of his his story. And it was kind of a, a weird thing for the the doctor whoever because he says he, I don't know if he says he's a doctor but basically yeah. Um, saying, I don't know what's going on, but this guy believes this reality. Like he believes his, uh, what he called it? Um, uh, pure his delusion. Cri- yeah. He cri- said it's a delusion, delusion of the purest form. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So like he, he wasn't like, he thinks that this guy needs help, but he's also doesn't think that this guy's completely, I don't know. He, he gave like a weird diagnosis, but basically saying this guy believes he believes what, what he's saying is what you get yeah. from it. Well, he also gives a uh, he references his teeth fillings mm-hmm. are not done the same way they're done at the time of 1961. Um, that and then uh, I think Mary Lou is the one who brings up the gun. Like even you said, it's a it's a hundred year old gun that looks like it was made last year. Yeah. And uh, so uh, not that that proves anything, but everyone's just kind of not quick to not believe him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Well, because it's it's a I mean, it uh, of 
if you have somebody that comes wandering in from the desert, it's clearly like, you know, like the doctor says he's malnourished and you see this guy, you know, he's like dehydrated and he's wearing like a heavy coat, a top hat and has a rifle. And he says, you know, he's from 1840 something. Your first indication is going to be like, this guy's crazy. You know, like, I mean, how, how could you not uh, like you, you're, you're, your first instinct isn't like this guy's a time traveler. Like that would not be what I would be thinking, you know? Like, well, after doing 50 plus episodes of this show, <laughs> fair enough. I don't know what my first reaction would be anymore. That's true. So, uh, so, um, the doctor goes over to, to call like the, the local law, you know, like the authorities to get, um, to get Chris like help, right. To get like, you know, taken in and get help. And then Chris comes out, from the uh, the office holding an encyclopedia, and uh, he basically found evidence of like he reads out what he believes is what's going on, and then he reads a name, and it's his son, and it finds out that his son actually lived a pretty long life in in California, San Francisco, and actually like led the way with a lot of medicine that helped fight infections and things. And, yeah, yeah, he became a doctor and helped with like child diseases. Yeah. I think they say. Um, so he he realizes that he was maybe put there for a reason to figure this out and to save his family. Yeah, so he you know, he basically is like I got to go, you know, I got to go back and he uh yeah, takes, takes the penicillin. Yeah. And uh the doctor tries to keep him there and uh I I think he knocks him out. I'm not quite <laughs> he, sure. He um he struggles with the doctor but then he hits Joe in the gut with the butt of his gut. It's a real fast, like, you know, just boom. And he's out the door and it's, it's funny, but it's like, I mean, how else I guess you're going to get out of there. Uh, but he, he takes off running down the road and, um, and then they get, that's the cop when we car. get that, the great, uh, score kicking in with one of the goofiest runs I've seen on the show, uh, this far. <laughs> that's what I was talking about. The music, not quite matching up with the intensity no, of the scene. No, cause but, he's <laughs> running with the top hat just down a roadway. And it's just like, it's so his arms, his arms are flailing everywhere. Like, like I, the, the Biddy Hill music would be way more appropriate for this run than the music that we're getting, but whatever I, I think we've seen a few people run on the show. I maybe just people didn't know how to run back then. I <laughs> he, don't know what like, it is. Cliff Robertson was so method. He's like, how would somebody in eighteen eighteen forties run? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, because running was a luxury back then. You just all you did was walk yeah. place to place. You know, well, you didn't have enough food or water to uh, exert the energy <laughs> to run. You know, it takes a lot of fuel to keep yourself moving like that. Running's one of um, the devil's pastimes. You just didn't do it. You know, but uh, yeah, so but the music, the music's really good. The drum, like the drum beat, and and it's great because there's this brief moment where. I, I honestly didn't hear any other sound in the episode other than the music. And he was running, he goes running towards the sand dune and, um, and the cops are on the roadway, which like, I also laughed at this too. They see him running up this big sand dune and they decide to drive into the soft sand, like about like, you know, I don't know, 30, 40 feet. And then the car stops and then they get out and start chasing him. But, um, and he, yeah. He, yeah. Chris ends up, uh, falling and he drops his gun and he drops the penicillin and he, he picks up the penicillin, keeps running, and uh, gets to the top of the rim. He looks over and sees the wagons again and uh, looks back and the road and everything is gone. So he goes back down to the wagons and asks where they all went. And they're like, what do you mean? You just left a few seconds ago. What did you forget? <laughs> and uh, he just gives little Chris some medicine and... Um, Tells them that there was highway, there were highways out and people out there, and it was people like them that paved the way for this future to exist, and uh, feels very good about himself. Yeah, but so we, there's still four uh, minutes left in the episode, though. There, there's three or four minutes at this point. You think that's the end? Like that's a yeah, good button. Well, it's like they had to keep is, going. This is probably my big problem with this episode. I I don't necessarily think this is a bad episode. No. I think it's 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 pretty down the middle. Um. But yeah, they over-explain all of this stuff from this point on. So we cut back to 1961. The police pull up at the diner and say they're still looking for him, but he couldn't have gotten far, so we'll find him. Don't worry, Joe. And so Joe walks back in the diner, and he has his has uh, Chris's gun now. And it's it's all beat up, and it looks old. And I think Mary Lou says something like, uh, it looks like it's been lying in the desert for 100 years. Yeah. And uh, so... 
Yeah, I don't know. It's just I feel like we didn't need the stinger at the end of the episode well, like this. And, and that's still not the end of it. Like, but, but yeah, side yeah. note, I just want to I want to mention he pulls the butt off the gun and I thought, Buzz Kulik, you're going to find a way to get sand to pour out of this thing. I was waiting for that to happen again. <laughs> and it didn't. And then it's like, this is the one time it's appropriate because he picked this gun up out of a sand dune, but it didn't happen. And I was also expecting because the gun butt that came off, I was expecting some kind of twist that like you see maybe like an arrowhead or something that it maybe implies that like. Chris yeah, thought that that he was, you know, going back for good. And it turns out maybe something bad happened. It was more ambiguous. No, we don't get that. We get cutting back yeah. to him again. And um, and his his yeah. kids okay. He has a bit of an open mouth disease or whatever it is that he has suffering from. But um, but yeah, it's basically like they're back on the you know full steam ahead and he he now is absolutely certain of his destiny because he read he read of his son's fate in an encyclopedia. So that's that's it. Yeah, so we we get three times that they explain the end of the episode. Yeah, it's it's kind of frustrating. It, it and it takes up five minutes of a twenty minute of episode just to explain the ending. And we've seen so many episodes that cover basically the same thing that like I feel like we could have just dragged it out for a couple more minutes of him wandering through the desert, and I would have been okay with it. Yeah, I I, th- I think oh. that would have been fine. You know, like I just like could- have one more as much as I complain about like reoccurring gags and episodes like have one more incidence of him running into like something from 1961. What about yeah. like, what about a Native American? How about that? That would have been interesting to show that, uh, yeah. you know, like maybe because like, you know, that times have changed and the thing he the, the, the people he completely mistrusts aren't, you know at that time, maybe, you know, not a threat, you know, like, uh, not, not that I'm implying that that sounds bad. That ties into the, the quote at the end of the episode, but they're talking when they ask about Indians, I'll, we'll, we'll get there when we get there. Um, but that would have been an interesting contrast to have him running into a native American that was just, you know, looking out for his well being. be like, you know, you're dehydrated and you ran away from the monster truck or whatever. You know, let yeah, me it would you. have added more character growth yeah. to him as well. Cause he realizes that like, Oh, society ended up prospering because we ended up coming and settling here. Um, it, but that, that would have added more growth and be like, Oh, look, like maybe we should be more tolerant of these people that we stole land from. Yeah. Right. Um, maybe we should listen to what they have to say, you know? I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> like, so that would have made his character, uh, go all the way into being on the good side. Yeah. Uh, as so. a protagonist. But I, again, that's us rewriting the episode. They didn't do that. So no, so yeah, I like um, this is one of those ones that I'm I'm gonna be torn on because I think I could go back and if I if like if let's say that I have a Twilight Zone party and people are over and we're not actually gonna listen to anything the episodes have to do, have this one on the background and it would just be like it would tell a much more interesting story with the sound and dialogue off to me just seeing this play and that sounds bad that sounds really bad but like there's so many great just visuals of the location and just like his costuming and like it's it I just there's that to me is like a like head and shoulders above a lot of the episodes we've seen in this season and maybe even the first season at times too and it it just bums me out that that um the the story wasn't there i think the actors did what they could cliff robertson's obviously the mvp of this episode uh and the, the visual is cool and the music was good it's just that just the the script just wasn't sorry rod but that's the weakest part of this episode and that's a bummer yeah well this seems like one of those recycled ideas yeah i mean obviously like i said we've seen multiple episodes that deal with somebody just walking or ending up in another time um by some unknown power. And I feel like this was one of those recycled ones, but at this point he should have had faith in the viewers and in the audience to pick up what he was writing. It it didn't need this drawn out ending. It, it, that was really what hurt it for me. Cause like the rest of the episode is fine. Like it's again, it's nothing new. So it didn't, it didn't blow me away, but like that ending just, just killed the whole vibe for me. No, I agree, and that, that's, so, that's that's a. That's but I totally agree with you. It's it's a fantastic looking episode. The performances, uh, even down to side characters, except for the son. Um, <laughs> it was just <laughs> no. Nah, he had nothing to do. Um, he just, except close his mouth. That's all he could have done. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I took. A, <laughs> I like, did. I did get a screenshot of that. I'm like, what is going on there? I just felt so bad. I felt so bad. 
But every aspect of this episode was on point, except for Serling's screenplay. And I, I feel like this is one of the first times we've really... Uh, I really felt like Serling's screenplay was the weakest part. Yeah. And, and so, I, yeah, I don't know. I just... I. You're right. Like the idea of like the, the 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 person from the past coming forward. We've dealt with this a few times. Like uh, the last flight dealt with this. Uh, that wasn't a Sterling script, but we've had these instances before where there was also a little bit more additional to the conflict. And this one was just more of a guy who was just trying to make sure his family and his you know his his um, friends or associates that are in the wagons are going to be okay. And yeah. so that that's really like like that was the biggest conflict of like he went out to try to find like, you know, an answer or a solution. And he did, you know, but, and that's it. Like there was no other, not that we needed to have like him find that, you know, I don't know. It just, that was it. Yeah. I I agree. Maybe there should have been more conflict, but I think that was a nice twist taking something that we've seen and not necessarily making about like, how do I get back to my time? Um, Like how, how, you know, adding more conflict may have taken away from the point of him realizing him and his family's destiny and everything. And I think it was an interesting way to take it. Um, yeah, I just, again, the ending. <laughs> like, yeah, there's just something missing much. and it, it was overexplained. So, yeah. Um, yeah I, I don't think anything was necessarily missing. It was just, I, I think he just went too far with the ending. Yeah, I, I will agree with that. So, um, all right. So, some notes about the episode and proper here. So, just to make you mad, um, production cost for this episode was um, $58,879.17 in nineteen sixty one. So, 58000 to shoot the episode. And a lot of this was probably location and getting people out there. And Yeah. But that's, that, that seems really high. It, well, not really. So, long distance I call. I don't know. Long distance call, just to give you a comparison. Previous episode shot on, on video and, you know, creepy clown carpet. Uh, the cost for that was $50,000, uh, $50,747.16. So okay. we're talking. All right. So, and that's one of the money saving episodes since it was uh, shot on video. Yeah. Okay. I don't, I don't, I just feel like nothing really happened in this episode. So I feel like it should have been cheaper, but. Well, and this I is cheaper the, because they the shot. To, yeah, they, they shot the other episode back to back, so they're able to split the cost between this and the next okay. one. So, but that's that was about from what I remember, it's about average, you know, because I mean, you got to move all this stuff out the location. You and yeah, also I guess the, that's where the cost comes from. That and, and shooting on film and everything is going to be a little bit more. But the decorating of the I gas just, station, like that, also costs money too. I it just it was, yeah. But I just want to give you the, the eight thousand dollars difference between this and long distance call. And you can see why they well, made the decision. And we'll talk more about the video versus the 8,000 went to the film stock. Yeah. 8,000 went to the top hat. No. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, that yeah, just shows you the let, difference. Let's hear about this hat. Yeah. I need to hear about this, uh, <laughs> hat controversy. So cliff Robertson, uh, got, he got really like when he was offered this, he really, really dug in and he, he wrote an eight to nine page analysis of his character and brought it to buzz Kulik. And, and buzz Ooh. was like, he was like, oh, well, you know, the, it, it basically, Buzz and, and Cliff were kind of like, well, Buzz was like impressed, but Cliff said this is something that like actors, when they're first starting out to try to find their motivation, this is what they would do is kind of write an analysis. But he was kind of an established actor already, but really wanted to do right by this. So he probably wrote more information about Chris than Sterling wrote about the episode. So he really dug in. <laughs> Um, and then he argued that Chris should be wearing a heavy wool coat and a top hat because it was period specific. And so he um, so he he chose he made the basically the costuming decision and, and everybody in production was like, don't do that. Don't wear the hat, you know. And so he had to fight for the hat as he felt that it was correct. And then eventually Rod called him and said, it's beautiful. Keep it that way. So I think that's great nice. that that that's the, awesome. The, like the defining like part of the silhouette of him looking at the mountains is this this hat, and that was Cliff Robertson's decision. You know, so yeah, I um, the most iconic part of this episode they tried to take away. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I I feel like I wouldn't have liked this episode as much without <laughs> the top hat and the wool coat. As weird as that sounds, like this is what I'm going to remember the episode is that top hat against the barren desert. Mm-hmm. Just like, that's what I'm going to remember from this episode. I'm not going to remember the ins and outs of the uh, of the teleplay or anything, but 
just that hat and the coat. And, 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 and the something gun. we didn't even speak to is that that's kind of hinting that his character had an idea of like destiny of like being like, this is like, you got to wear a coat and a hat. Like if you're going to be successful, you know, like back in Ohio, I'm sure that was like the way that he probably, he, he's probably, if it was the Oregon trail, he was probably the one that was the banker to start that had the most money and tried to buy supplies and didn't know anything about, you know, going cross country, you know? So like you get the idea that like, you know, who, who would still wear a top hat, crossing the desert like what benefit is that other than it's like you're making a point you know I, yeah, it's, I, like, it's not shielding sun from your face with no. that tiny uh brim of the hat so yeah so yeah, yeah. it's a good point so good but, on you cliff robertson for keeping the hat keep the hat stays in the picture you know so there you go i'd love <laughs> to read that character treatment right like, i i would love to read what he wrote about that i wonder if it's out there somewhere i don't know um, but I thought that probably was probably not, but I thought that was I'd, a I'd nice love to see what he, he thought about this, this character. I just like that. Like he, you know, like Rod heard about it and called him and was like, it's fine. Keep it that way. So, <laughs> so cause uh, Rod Sterling didn't actually show up to location until the next episode. So they, when they shot his intro of him being amongst the wagon train, um, he, that was shot later. Like they actually inserted it later, so he actually didn't he didn't actually interact with the cast at all. So he had to be you know, in you know Los Angeles or wherever like the offices were getting a phone call about a hat. You know, like that's like, he's like he's like buried up to his neck in paper, his typewriter, just like I don't know how I'm gonna get all these episodes done. Somebody calls like, man, Cliff wants to wear this hat. You got to talk him out of it, and he probably just buried his head in his hands like. Took a Dude, long I really have to make drag. this phone call. Took just a- calling Cliff, like, just wear the hat. Yeah. Just wear the hat. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. I, thought I that don't was- care. Just wear the hat. No, he probably he probably cared a lot. He well, was I feel he like- probably got passionate about the hat. I, I feel like Sterling's the kind of guy that if you could get him excited about an idea, he'd be all about it. That's you know, what like I mean. He probably yeah. he probably cared a ton about the hat. He yeah. probably went to bat for him. <laughs> what, what, you got you got to go to bat for the hat. So there you go. That's uh. Yeah. That's, yeah oh, right. Man, <laughs> two on this episode. Right. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. That's that's all I got for this. I mean, yeah. We, not too much on yeah. notes. It's it's such a thin uh, plot to this episode. Yeah. Um, there's not really much to talk about. It's just uh, that production level is fantastic. Yeah, it, it was. was. Um, that's. That's yeah. the takeaway I have. So just because we got to do it because it's strange highways, we got we got to rate the twist. <laughs> um, uh, I you know what? I'll give it. I want to give it a two for the fact that he, even though I I I, I highly doubt that the one encyclopedia he'd find would actually have his son referenced in it. But you know whatever. If his son was big enough, then he would be listed. Uh, but but the the fact that he was able to reaffirm his own like manifest destiny that he kind of had when he like you know was leading them across the desert to begin with. So I kind of appreciate that his persistence was was rewarded with him knowing that there would be success. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I'll go with a two. It. I like that they took it a different direction mm-hmm. than a lot of the time travel episodes that they've done, but it wasn't anything that was just awe-inspiring. Um, and do you think um, I, I could not remember who invented penicillin or who discovered it? Jonas Salk, or anything. I think you're right. Wasn't it Jonas um, Salk? Uh, Alexander Fleming. Fleming. Salk, no, Salk did. Um, what, what did Salk do? He just he cured. Um, he I, he cured something. <laughs> Yeah, I, I <laughs> let me check remember. my encyclopedia, but, aka smartphone. Okay. Yeah, I I like the idea that maybe uh, little Chris uh, went for it and stole <laughs> <laughs> the credit for penicillin from Alexander Fleming. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It took it in a different direction that I wasn't quite expecting. But at the end of the day, I don't know if it was great. Like, <laughs> yeah. So no, I don't know. Jonas Salk uh, was the polio vaccine. That's what he did. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. All no, right. yeah. But the thing about this, though, th- th- this is not to, not to get onto this too much because I'm sure we'll run into the same problem again. But it's the whole idea of she hands him the pills that's penicillin, right? And then he's like, what's this? It's like it cures disease. And then he goes back and gives it to his kid who goes on to lead amazing, like, you know, developments and research for helping kids. It's like, and you said, well, what if he's the one to discover penicillin? How would he know to discover it unless it was handed to him as a kid? You know, like that's, there's this thing that's like, it, it doesn't exist until it's presented to his father. But, you know, like there's that kind of like, it's that, it's that uh, vicious cycle of, does penicillin exist because he helped find it or because it was introduced to him? 
You know, like there's yeah. that, and the, the episode isn't going that direction, but that begins that kind of begs the question of, like, I don't know, like, how does something exist until it happens, but it already happened? You know, yeah, like, it's it's kind of a paradox. Yeah, um, it, it would have been interesting too. I it, maybe it would have been a little too on the nose, but if the kid was supposed to be Alexander Fleming, but I know he's, he's not from the U S so that wouldn't have made sense, but <laughs> uh, would have been interesting alternate history. I don't know. Hey, if you can have an episode of quantum leap where Sam goes back to the civil war and helps free uh, a slave back then. And the guy's like, well, you know what? I think I want to change my name. And it's like, yeah, what too? He's like, you know, now that I'm free, I feel like a King. And he goes running off and it's like, <laughs> what? Yeah, so if quantum bleep can imply that Sam helped uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s like great grandfather, you know, sure, you know, like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, I. It's kind of a dumb idea. I, I regret actually bringing it up at all. <laughs> it, it worked for Donald P. Belisarius, so whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Right. Maybe that's a little too on the nose, but yeah, um, yeah it was an okay episode. Yeah, I, I, this is pretty middle of the road for me. As much as we're. Uh, really excited about the imagery in this the rest of it's just so i don't know middle of the road that it's just it's probably not something i'll return to by myself but if i end up watching it again i'm not going to be upset about it yeah i i I, I don't know if that's a ringing endorsement for the episode but take it as you will um like it just just, like i said just the just the look of it and then the music and then the goofy run and whatever like that 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 was worth watching it for that and just because i feel like we've had you know i mean and and i'm just i just feel like we haven't had the greatest of episodes recently like prime mover was fun but it wasn't anything you know to to hold up but this feels this feels more like twilight zone than the last couple we've seen you know and and that, that maybe that's where it kind of perked up for me a little bit but yeah otherwise I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'd come back to this one in particular. You're right. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's going to do it for a hundred yards over the rim. Uh, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at strange highways podcast. Join the conversation on there. Um, you can email us at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave us emails or voicemails, let us know what you think about this show or any episodes in particular. Um, you can subscribe to us and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google play satchel, uh, Podbean, And it would definitely help us out. If you would rate us five stars, get us a little bit, uh, get us up there in the rankings and get some more ears going on us. Yeah. Hold on. So, but, um, yeah, please rate and review us. That'd be great. So, yeah, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not good at asking for, uh, reviews or ratings, but it, it definitely helps out in the world of millions of podcasts. It even, even one review can make or break a show. So absolutely. I appreciate um, it. So, uh, the, so there's, we have the next episode, then the next next episode. So let me just, we'll just do it this way. Uh, the next episode of the twilight zone that we'll be covering is called the rip van winkle caper. And I have, that's, you know, I'll read the description. It is <laughs> that, that, yeah, I've never seen this one. So, you know, uh, all right. We've told some oddball stories on the twilight zone, but none of them any more weird than next week's tale. Four men plan a heist, the likes of which have never been uh, entered into the annals of crime. At which point, according to plan, they take a brief vacation from reality and they spend it in the twilight zone next week on the twilight zone, the rip van winkle caper. I hope you'll be among the bystanders. I'm guessing that these crooks fall asleep for a long time, but that I don't want to tip my hand, but that's what it sounds like. Uh, so that's the next episode of Twilight Zone. That's not what sounds we're doing. Fun. It sounds fun. And but, it, but, it's got uh, Robert Mitchum's brother in it, John Mitchum. So nice. <laughs> that's exciting. <laughs> uh, so, but that's not what we're doing next. So maybe I'll, I'll leave it, leave it to you to tell people what we're doing next. Yeah. Uh, we're taking a slight detour from Twilight Zone. Uh, few episodes ago we covered the episode static also directed by buzz kulik as i mentioned before um it it reminded me of a show that i watched when i was a child called are you afraid of the dark and there was an episode in particular that dealt with a radio that was not quite picking up the past but picking up a station that it shouldn't and it was the episode called tale of station 109.1 
So next week, we're going to cover that episode in all of its glory with all of its <laughs> surprise celebrity guest stars. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I'm really excited to talk about it. Uh, it's it's going to be a strange conversation. Um, I I was really wondering how it's going to hold up. So, <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I really haven't watched any episodes probably since I was like 10 years old. Yeah, so, so we'll, talk, we'll see. We'll talk a little about that too, because uh, uh, yeah, because uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark? I, I was a little older when it first came out, so we'll talk about our reactions to that initial series. And so yeah, it's going to be season five, episode three of Are You Afraid of the Dark? So if you can go back to your VHS collections, you guys can find it. Yeah. Um, uh, well, go on Daily Motion if you want to play along. Yeah, um, that's true. All yeah. of the episodes are on Daily Motion. Just look up Tale of Station One Hundred Nine, and it should pop up right away on Google. Yeah. So next week, are you afraid of the dark? And then the week at, well, not the week after that, but the, the next twilight zone episode is going to be the rip van winkle caper. So that's going to do it uh, for us this week. Um, have a safe week. Uh, you know, I guess if you're going to go hundred yards out that way, um, just make sure, you know, you take some future medicine back with you and, and help your child close their mouth. That's all I got to say about yeah. that. Well, look both ways before you cross the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you guys. about Indians. Indians? Well, we don't have any Indians. Well, at least we're not hostile ones, huh? <laughs> <laughs>